We are in our winding down of the human being series and our Advent season, and today we talk about God, self, and others. Introduced with this quote, attributed both to Thomas Akempis and Thomas Merton, but it's some Thomas. <laughs> oh, oops. To say that I am made in the image of God is to say that love is the reason for my existence, for God is love. Do you aspire to know a love that surpasses knowledge? That surpasses knowledge's limits? That's not selfish. It is an apostolic prayer. It is the prayer that Paul prayed for the Ephesians. My prayer for you is that you would know a love that surpasses knowledge. If that's an apostolic prayer, and it is, we should relentlessly pursue this prayer, this wish, this invocation of God for all selves, including ourself. Since your self, the one that God has entrusted to you, is the only self you can ever control, start there. Eventually, if we persist, we might actually experience a paradox. Jesus said this, it's more blessed to give than receive. I actually believe that, learn, that burnout, getting jaded, is a lie. A lot of people justify themselves by saying, I'm just burnt out. If you're burnt out, something went wrong. Because Jesus said it's more blessed to give than receive. Do we believe that? If we persist in trying to know a love that surpasses knowledge, we may, at least at times, briefly experience a paradox that giving more fills and only receiving empties. Now, our culture has been bombarded for decades, and this is actually intentional and calculated since the end of World War II, that we need to consume more. And I don't think, there's probably many factors involved, but I don't think that we should overlook the fact that after decades of that kind of bombardment, people are feeling empty, depressed, anxious. One of my sayings is, God is always giving and never empty. Satan is always consuming and never full. Now, wouldn't it be cool? Wouldn't that be a cool way to live? Even if only attain in the briefest moments that I am actually more satisfied as I minister, as I give, as I give, pour out than when I'm receiving. And isn't such an endeavor worth the effort? That's a clean spirit. That's what we talked about last Sunday was clean spirits. To be a clean spirit, we have to stop the descent into hell. This is the cleanup part from last Sunday where he talks about this unclean spirit wandering through waterless, empty places, seeking rest and finding none. We talked about rest a lot in at least my Sunday school class and what that means. 
Now, I don't want to take a lot of time with this because I want to get into the passage today. But an unclean spirit has no rest. And rest is huge in Scripture. God created the universe in a way where he chose to rest on the seventh day, whatever that means, because he was creating a Sabbath for us. God made the Sabbath for us, not us for the Sabbath. And then we find out in the New Testament that the Sabbath was never really a big deal. It was about you resting instead of working. So much so that he had to order his people to rest. And an unclean spirit never rests. And that's considered ruinous. There's a lot of different things that might cause that, but I want to focus on how do spirits that were created to love get to such a toxic, unclean place? And I don't want, just as kind of a quick kind of sliding scale to lead into our passage today of how we can get to this place of rest. Spirits that, people that love, that are created with the ability to love, love attaches. If you say you love something but you have no attachment to it, that's kind of weird. <laughs> love attaches. But we're fallen. And in a fallen world, one of the greatest challenges we face is this tension between love and attachment. That we won't feel in heaven. We, would, we didn't feel in Eden. But we feel it now. You see Jesus feeling it in Matthew 23 and 24 when he has this very strong love and attachment for Israel so that he wills to gather her as a hen gathers her chicks. That's a statement of attachment, attaching love. But he lets them go. See, when we focus so much on attachment, I don't care what it is. It can be your house. It can be your children. It can be your preferred hobby. It can be a style of music. It can be a Bible translation. It can be anything. When you get too hung up on an attachment, you start to get, we don't want to say this, but we start to get territorial. And we justify it. Well, but my territory is better than yours. <laughs> and once you go to that territorial road, you start to get possessive. And that's an unclean spirit. Attachment goes awry. When actually love is so loving, it can release attachment. Because this isn't bad, but attachment has to do with you, not other. And we should feel attached, but we have to be able to let go. And there's something about God as love. One of my sayings over the years, I try to boil things down, is you know, try to get things into short things and just reflect on them. We tend to think heaven exists because God is loving and hell exists because God is righteous. Hell exists because God is loving. And God's righteousness is what saves us and makes us heavenly. In other words, God does let go. It would be unloving not to because <laughs> then he's not respecting your person. 
And he can do that and still be, though greatly saddened, at rest. That's why, you know, we need to get the cane and take Dave off the stage. He's getting too attached. <laughs> he doesn't know. <laughs> you minimize it, but you younger generation will be older eventually, and you'll have to work through your own. And Dave will. I have great confidence in Dave. Yeah. He'll be the only elder who actually does it. Watch. <laughs> no. um, but where do we get this place of resting with it, slash in the Trinity? Within, but with and in the Trinity. Because when you say that God is love, our best understanding of God is God as Trinity. And that's clear from Scripture that there's a Trinity. The Father is God. The Son or the Word is God. The Spirit is God. This is clear from Scripture. I'm not trying to prove that doctrine today. But what does that mean? Especially when you think, what does that mean? And then it says, and I'm made in God's image. Like my true self. I'm not talking about my body, which I'll get a new body. I'm talking about there's something about being human. Animals have a body. They're not in God's image. There's something about being in God's image where we need to understand that the best understanding of God is meant to not just give us an understanding of God, but an understanding of ourselves. Remember what we talked about, even Calvin says it, it's hard to tell where the right knowledge of God and the right knowledge of self, where one begins and the other ends. Because we're always encountering God through the lens of ourself. So we talk about God, self, and others. Think about it this way, just briefly. You're talking about theology, psychology, self, sociology, others. And that's what it all comes down to. God is love. Love the Lord your God. Love others as you love yourself. God, self, others. Because God is a community God. So if we want to rest within the Trinity, we have to gain understanding. John 17, 3 says, Jesus is praying. So since he's praying, he's speaking out of his humanity. And he's praying to God. So John is the one that helps us distinguish the humanity of Jesus from the God that is Jesus by talking about Jesus as before Jesus was Jesus, there's a word of the Father that became flesh. When you see Jesus praying, he's speaking out of his humanity. And in John 17, he's praying, and he says, this is eternal life, to know you, Father, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you sent. That's the human part. So what we learned from John's theology is this idea of, here's God, Father, Word, Spirit. And the Word is one that became flesh, and you can say Father, Son, Spirit, but for today, when you say Son, we start thinking Jesus of Nazareth, which he is the Son. But we're talking about before Jesus of Nazareth was conceived in Mary's womb, John describes him as the Word. And John 1 says that the Father generates the Word, and when Jesus starts talking about the Holy Spirit, he says the, Spirit will, the Father will send him through me in my name. 
And Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians that the Spirit knows the deep things of God. Who knows the deep things of a man except the Spirit that is within him in the same way who knows the deep things of God except the Spirit of God? Okay. So that's a quick picture of the Trinity. They're all God. But the Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Spirit. The Spirit is not the Father because of the nature of their relationship with each other. And you could spend a long time talking about that. And I don't want to spend a long time talking about it today. You can ask in Faith Facts, or maybe someday I'll give a sermon on the Trinity. But we're talking about learning how to love. So over there on um, my right, your right, if you're looking at the screen, everybody's right, um, you have what theologians throughout the ages have called a chain of being. Okay? Being just means it exists to be. So a rock exists but a rock is totally passive. So try to track me on this. <laughs> Plants are a little more interactive. They can turn towards the sun. They have metabolic activity. They have a higher level of being. Animals, more so, and there's a whole range of animals, from lesser animals to things that were like, man, those, those ones are pretty smart. They have a lot of agency. Human beings are created to be agents of God. Dolphins are pretty smart. Some of the apes are like really smart. Then you get humans. And then when you get beyond humans, you get to the unseen realm and something that we call angels. But there's a whole range of spirit beings from angels to thrones to principalities to powers to seraphim to cherubim to watchers to unclean spirits to demons to, you know, there's a whole, just like there's a whole range of animals. There's a whole range of spirit beings. We don't really know how they're related to each other. We know that right now we're a little below them. We just call them all angels. Then you have God, who is at the top of the great chain of being. Or you can also say he's the foundation of the great chain of being. All that just to get to this point. When you get to the level of humans, we bear the image of God. We are persons. So, what confuses people about the Trinity is when you say three persons, one being. But try to look at it this way. Do you think that the Spirit is a lower level of being than you? So if you have personhood, the Holy Spirit at least has personhood. Okay. We think one person, one being... But let me ask you a question. How many persons are in the one church? <laughs> Do you see how individualized we've become? And this confuses people, right? About, well, you're saying there's three beings, but it's one being somehow. No, that's not what we're saying. We're saying that each core essential part of God's being has at least the level of being I have, and I'm a person. So they're at least persons. And if you can just start to wrap your mind around that, a lot of the things about the Trinity that seem so confusing start to disappear. Now, having said that, we're never going to fully understand God. <laughs> it's just Trinitarian theology is the starting point, really, for a deeper understanding of God. So you can know a love that surpasses knowledge, but you cannot understand the understanding. 
And I want to unpack that for a minute. And there's a, there's a lot of really technical theological language when I use the English word understanding that we're not getting into today. I just want you to think of the English word understanding. Remember when I said God is the foundation? So what is standing under everything and holding it up? God. So when you get so hung up in trying to understand God, you're trying to get under <laughs> the understanding. You can't. It doesn't mean God's illogical. It means in the end, we have to take what he says about himself and say, do I trust that or not? It's not, well, it's understanding seeking faith. If I would understand more, I could believe. Okay, understanding and faith can work together, but so many people operate that way, you're doomed. You're never going to understand God. You can't get under and stand under the understanding. It's faith seeking understanding. We have to trust. And God reveals himself, Father is God. The Word is God. The Spirit is God. And you are made in God's image. So a lot of what God reveals about himself is so you can know him, so you can know who you are. And then, therefore, what you're supposed to be doing and why you're here. He's trying to help you recover from the way he looks at it, your true self. This is our best understanding of God, put hopefully relatively simply. And you, at the core of who you are to be human, somehow you're Trinitarian. And we're not talking about your spirit and soul, if they're even really separate, and your body. Body is a tent. It's part of who God made you to be, but we're not talking about your body. Right? So, now you get to, you want to gain understanding of God. Once you gain understanding of God, you want to process life well, starting with yourself. So the best theology quickly becomes psychology. I have to understand myself, to some extent, to function well and to get healed. 1 John goes back and forth between self and other. He actually starts with loving others. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Okay. So we have to figure out how to love. Now, yourself. Look at yourself. There is a core to you, a core that only your spirit knows. The spirit is not the core. Think about 1 Corinthians 2. Who knows the deep things of the man except the spirit that is within him? Right? So you have a core. Your core generates your thoughts and feelings, your awareness. And from your thoughts and feelings proceeds a spirit or mood. And here's what we want to say. I'm in a bad mood. Whose fault is it? Rather than thinking, you know, that mood is saying something about not the world. It might be saying something about the world, but don't even try to figure out what it's saying about the world until you figure out what it's saying about you. Because your core is broken. How often do we say, you made me so angry? 
Look, I'm not bashing anger, just God get angry. Yes. There's a lot of ways that we talk about our emotions where we aren't really just taking ownership over them. It's the same thing with our thoughts. It's infuriating when the Redskins find yet another way to lose. I don't think God's infuriated by that. I think Ray's infuriated by that. It's infuriating when they don't play that sonnet right. Or say it right. Do you think God's infuriated by that? Do you understand how we have areas that are very, very dear to us but are they starting to possess us and control us? And the short answer is yes. And we're going to say it's the Redskins' fault. It's that poet's fault. It's that actor's fault. Now, you generate your thoughts and feelings. Other things influence them. You create your mood. And that mood is saying something about your core. Now, it might be saying, when you bring the body into it, that your body is deeply broken. Talk to a doctor. I'm not trying to get into that stuff. That's no fault. Even if you did something incredibly reckless and damaged your body, and now you have a bodily component. And we're, we're, that's medical science. I'm not talking about medical science today. I'm talking about theology. Being healthy. Now, a healthy self incarnates into the world of the people that they say they love. It doesn't make them change to come to them. Because God, what did God do? He incarnates. And if we say we're walking in the light and we're so healthy, but we're more and more not fellowshipping with other people, there's not that community component. What's going on? Process well, starting with yourself, because you have to love others. <laughs> and love attaches, but love doesn't get territorial and doesn't possess. Now, God will sometimes come in and be like, look, if you want to go down the territorial road, all right, let's talk about that for a minute. Let's talk about it from a territorial perspective. It's all mine. You have no territory. You own nothing. Now, God's not territorial. He's not possessive. He lets go. But if we're going to insist on talking about it on those grounds, he says, you have no territory. So let go. <laughs> And just learn how to love other people because we say God is love. So who did God love before he created anything? Himself. So if all you love is yourself, you're not loving. You're narcissistic. You're like extremely narcissistic. So who did God love before he created anything? There's no one else. To, there's Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Okay? So that's where you have to understand that they're persons. And for love to be love, there's always three components. There is a self, 
there is an other. And then from that self and other relationship proceeds a spirit of love, and that creates a community. And there's always at least three. So here's our challenge. God, within his one being, is so real that he has both what, what to us are opposite poles of being, self, other. God has both self and other within his one being. You don't. So, what you most need is not actually to be loved. It's to love other. You need other. And you need community. And as you live long enough in life, eventually you start saying, others are the problem. Or you go super extreme and say, self is the whole problem. Either way, you destroy community. So within the Trinity, if you had to go self-other, the Father is the self, the Son is the other, the Father initiates, the Son responds, and from them proceeds a spirit of love. But what God is really saying is, I'm not as hung up on the subject and object as you are. I'm caught about the spirit, the verb, not subject, object, and the grammar of being. If you want to talk about subject and object, the Father is the subject, the Son is the object of his love, and there's a verb of love that flows from them. I just want you to catch the verb. Because there's only going to be two kinds of people in the end. People that are doing the verb, of love and people that aren't. And one of the great things that's wrecking our culture today after decades of being bombarded by this and always struggle with it is, I just want to be loved. I just want to be loved. I just want to be loved. Someone love me for how I am. God already does. What you need to do is love other people. Get in a community of God. Connect with it. Deal with all the ways that other frustrates you. And stop trying to make them become you. You become them. I become all things to all men that I might win some. And by the way, did Jesus wait for us to change to do that? So, if, why? Because he's love. <laughs> he didn't, he, though he'll make judgments, he'll make decisions. He didn't come into the world to judge the world. He came into the world to save the world, to love the world and create a community. We have to love others so we can remain, and this is my kickoff for next week, don't worry, I'm not keeping it any longer. <laughs> we can remain when the torment wave has passed. John says, the one who fears is not made perfect in love because love has to do, with fear has to do with torment or punishment. See, John has this very powerful language, and it's throughout 1 John 4. Abide, 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 remain, remain, remain. This is John's language. So there is a humanity that God created. Everybody's name is in that book of life. If you exist, your name is in it. Then there's this wave of curse and sin and torment. 
and a lot of people's names get swept away. And then there's the Lamb's Book of Life, the names that remain. And those names we'll all love. And if you don't love, you won't remain. So, since the only self you can control is yourself, go love people. See, John seems so simple in his language. I've heard Dave mention it before when he's up here. When John was really, really old, Dave, and he had to be carried in, <laughs> and he would stand up, leaning over, maybe a young person holding him up. Maybe that was, for all we know, um, you know, one of his early disciples, his Timothy, his Titus, right? his Ignatius, his whoever. Okay. And what would he say, Dave? He'd get up there trembling and shaking. Brothers, love one another. That's all he could preach. <laughs> that was the end of his sermon. So I'll make it the end of mine. <laughs> love. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for who you are, for how you teach us to love. Help us to just seek to initiate that verb of loving others more consistently and watch how you heal us through the process. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.